we, we were so happy about that because we would have felt terrible uh, if it would have only been for veterans. So that, that thank you for lobbying on behalf of all PTSD patients. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I lobby for all patients because one simple fact, and, and I think at some point in every episode of this podcast, I'm probably going to make this statement. But my goal is so no other person has to wake up each and every day and realize what I feel when he's the first thought that enters my mind. Yes. Uh, and that's that's my sole goal. I don't care about me. I care about nobody else having to feel what I feel every day for the last five and a half years. Yes. So uh, it's my pleasure, but uh, it's, it's, there's a goal behind it that motivates me. Tonight, I am joined by a fellow Texas advocate, the founder of Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana, and the former director of veteran outreach for Texas Normal, veteran David Bass who has been an active member of the movement for medical cannabis here in Texas for a while now. A retired English teacher, Dave served both in the Oklahoma National Guard and 25 years in the U.S. Army from 1981 to 2006. He is a veteran of both Desert Storm and Operation Iraqi Freedom. Dave is a proud member of veterans of foreign wars and the disabled American veterans. Dave first tried cannabis in 2012 for his PTSD and chronic pain from old injuries. Now, a Texas cannabis patient on the teacup program, Dave joins me to talk about the teacup program and how the recent improvements to it are helping him with his PTSD and other issues. He also outlines other ways that we still need to work to get more improvements to the program. Let's meet Dave and hear his story. Hello, Dave, and thank you for joining me here on Gramps Place. Tell our listeners a little about yourself and your background. Well, I spent uh, 25 years in the Army. Um, I'm a veteran of Desert Storm and Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, I served from 1981 to um, 2006, and after I retired, I did the Troops to Teachers program and was a, a high school teacher here in Killeen for 10 years. And when I got back from Iraq, I served in Iraq with the uh, 1st Cavalry Division. And um, when I returned in 05, uh, I was diagnosed by an Army psychologist and an Army psychiatrist at the Mental Health Center at Fort Hood uh, because I had these strange uh, symptoms. When I went in to check on these symptoms, see what was going on, the uh, doctor said, ah, oh, this is a classic case of post-traumatic stress disorder. And yeah. I knew nothing about PTSD. And uh, the psychiatrist diagnosed uh, PTSD and, and uh, prescribed psychotropic medication, uh, which was the Army's answer. Uh, and I went through some uh, uh, therapy with the psychologist, which therapy was good. Uh, and I was also taking uh, opioid medication uh, for injuries uh, that I had in the Army. So in uh, 2006, uh, when I retired, 
uh, and switched over to the Veterans Administration. I was uh, taking uh, psych psychotropic medications and opioids uh, and uh, seeing a new doctor there. Uh, and uh, the doctor said, well, uh, these pills uh, are very important uh, for you to take them every day. And so I wanted to get better. And I uh, took the pills, thankfully, uh, but I didn't like the side effects. And so in 2012, I was researching uh, possible alternatives to pills for PTSD and chronic pain. And I discovered uh, this whole new concept called medical marijuana, mm -hmm. which I uh, had never uh, considered before. Sure. In fact, uh, in the Army, we had a zero tolerance policy for using marijuana. Mm -hmm. And I personally kicked a lot of soldiers out of the Army. Uh, really? Marijuana. Uh, so it was kind of, uh, it was uh, ironic and made me feel sad and regretful uh, to understand that uh, now here I was uh, getting ready to, to try to use medical cannabis um, after 25 years of zero tolerance of cannabis in the sure. army. Quite a, a change of mindset. Sure. I, I, I got to ask you, um, as you came to this this avenue where you started doing your research, uh, you, you mentioned side effects. What were some of the side effects that you didn't like? Well, of course, with the opioids, I felt like I was addicted to them. Uh, if I, you know, if I didn't take my pills, um, I started getting really jumpy and uh, okay. felt like I couldn't do without those uh, pain pills. Uh, and I was also drinking heavily because, you know, the U.S. military, I guess all military, the drinking culture. And so mm -hmm. I was out of the Army. I was still drinking heavily. And I was taking these pills, and, and I felt like I was addicted to the opioids. And uh, the psychotropic medication uh, made me feel like I wasn't myself. I was some other person under the influence uh -huh. of these pills. And um, I just did not feel like me uh, under these pills. I feel like the, the pills had taken over my mind, my personality, my very soul. I felt like these pills uh, controlled me. And yeah. I didn't like that at all. Yeah, that's no way to live. That's no way to feel. Right. At all. I, I asked my psychiatrist at the VA, and how much longer will I have to take the pills? He said, well, we're not even going to discuss you stopping the pills for two more years. And, and to me, uh, that was an unacceptable answer. So that's when I went in search for uh, an alternative. And so um, I started using cannabis. Um, I used flour illegally. And but I was able to get some good quality cannabis. And uh, I would use uh, anywhere uh, from a gram uh, to half a gram to a gram and a half of uh, cannabis flour in my Pax vaporizer each day. Uh, and um, suddenly I was sleeping peacefully with no nightmares. Uh, the hypervigilance went away, the paranoia. Um, and I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't feel like I was in a rock all the time. Uh, and so uh, they, they call that intrusive thought. 
Uh, and I was like, wow, this is really working. And by the end of 2012, I had stopped taking the opioids and the psychotropic medication and stopped abusing alcohol. So in what, in, in less than six months? 12 months. In 12 uh, I started months? Before in 12 months? January uh, okay. 2012 after this uh, unsatisfactory discussion with my psychiatrist at the VA in Temple. So it was immediately after that discussion, you decided to take the plunge and, and yes. give cannabis a try. Right, because that's why I asked him, I said, how, how much longer am I going to have to take these pills? And uh, and he said, well, we're not even going to discuss it for two more years. And I was like, no, nah, I got to do something else. I already knew uh, where I could get cannabis. So that conversation uh, motivated me to go ahead and, and, and do this experiment. Uh, I decided I'd do a 12-month use of cannabis flower, um, use it very methodically, exactly like medicine, in a vaporizer, so I wasn't smoking it. And um, and my, uh, I started off with half a gram in the evening before I went to bed, uh, and then in you know, pretty soon a, a gram of flour, and then finally you know hit my level, uh, which was the perfect level for me. Uh, was a, a gram and a half of uh, flour in my vaporizer, and my vaporizer holds a, a half a gram. So that's basically three doses a day, and uh, that worked perfect for me. Okay, okay. So tell us about your activism and, and what got you started and involved in all of that. Well, I had, you know, in my research on the internet, uh, had discovered the National Organization to Reform Marijuana Law. So I joined Normal in 2012 and got my Normal T-shirt, and uh, was very proud to be a Normal member. I remembered them from the 70s. I was like, I remember these guys. They, they used to be like in uh, Rolling Stone magazine and stuff. And so uh, then I discovered, hey, there's a Texas Normal chapter, and there's a DFW Normal chapter mm -hmm. uh, right here in Texas. And so obviously Austin is closer than DFW, whichever was closer, I would have gone and joined. Uh, but Austin is an hour from Colleen. And so I, I went to the Flamingo Cantina mm -hmm. on 6th Street in Austin, a reggae club, famous, world famous reggae club. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, there was Texas Normal and uh, there was a, a table at the front. And uh, Cheyenne G. Weldon was working the table. Uh, so I met Cheyenne. I joined Texas Normal uh, in December 2012. And uh, in January 2012, when I went back to the January meeting, Joshua Schimberg, the executive director, uh, said, uh, we need a veteran outreach person because we want to talk to veterans about medical cannabis. And I was like, oh. Mm -hmm. That sounds like me. So I told Joshua I would do it. And then um, I think it was April 2013, I became the director of veteran outreach for Texas Normal. So let's talk about you and I both know, because we know each other from our, our activism here in Texas and in Austin. Uh, let's talk about how much work it's been here in Texas just to get these small incremental changes since 2015. Well, I didn't know anything about the Texas politics or the Texas legislature at all. 
Mm -hmm. And so 2013 was my baptism of fire, uh, going and uh, trying to meet with my state senator and my representatives. Uh, I was able to meet with um, their aides. I wasn't able to meet with them in person. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're, uh, the, the people that met with me were very nice, uh, but I could tell uh, by the blank stare on their face that I was basically talking to a brick wall uh, when I started talking about cannabis. And Texas Normal in 2013 had a really good plan. Uh, they, they were really getting well organized at that time. And so uh, what they did is a statewide initiative uh, to find people in every district uh, who would deliver an information packet to every senator and legislator. And it needed to be delivered by a constituent. And so I got my two packets and went to the Capitol, my very first time to visit the Texas State Capitol, and uh, got lost and wandered all over the place and finally <laughs> found my uh, senator's office and dropped off the packet. And the lady sitting at the desk thanked me profusely uh, and uh, told me she'd make sure that uh, the senator got the, the packet. And then um, I went and found uh, Jimmy Don Acock's office. That's my, was my representative. And uh, his wife was in the office and she took the packet from me. And she said, I'm going to put this. She listened to my spiel and she said, I'm going to put this on Jimmy Don's desk. And it'll be there when he gets back uh, from his meeting. And it was a, a little book and uh, some scientific studies, a really good packet about cannabis. And um, and so that was my foray into uh, Texas politics was uh, 2013. And uh, I testified uh, to the uh, Criminal Justice Committee, but my very first time to testify. And it was, an, it was an affirmative defense bill. That's all we had in 2013. Okay. It was a bill by a Representative Neistat from Austin uh, that if I would have been arrested uh, at that time uh, and, and if I would have taken my case to court, then this new law would have given me the right to tell the judge I use cannabis as medicine, which apparently we don't have that right in Texas. <laughs> and so um, that's all the law would do. And uh, but we got a hearing and it was amazing. Like a hundred people showed up to testify. It was incredible. Yeah. Uh, this huge number of people uh, testified for this one little bill, uh, which the chairperson was doing as a favor to Representative Neistat and had no intention of even allowing the committee to vote upon it. But uh, I was... <laughs> Which I didn't know at the time how the system was rigged, but that's that's what the deal was on Neistat's bill. Yeah. And I was scared to death. I was shaking in my boots to go up there, and and and, and I was totally intimidated by these you know twelve legislators sitting up there in their high eminence, and um, I was going to get up there and confess to a terrible crime in Texas. I was going to tell them I use cannabis every day. <laughs> and I just had this uh, image in my head that they would say, DPS, arrest this man immediately. He has, <laughs> he has confessed to a terrible crime in Texas. But that's not what happened. They listened to me, uh, my testimony, uh, for three minutes, very politely. And, um, and so that's how I learned the ropes, was 
2013 legislative session. Okay. Um, but it's been, uh, I guess, more more along the lines. What I was getting at is, is 2013 that that scenario. Then 2015, I believe, is the year the teacup initial teacup actually passed. Correct. Yep. Step 2015. Live that through so fast. Uh, the activists in Texas didn't even know it existed. Uh, that bill uh, is where we learned the power of, uh, of certain politicians in Texas. Because mm -hmm. uh, Representative Click uh, had been approached by a group of moms whose uh, children deal with epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were conservative Republican moms. And uh, Representative Click listened to them. Uh, she believed uh, them telling her that cannabis can help children with epilepsy. And uh, Stephanie Click wrote that bill for Texas Compassionate Youth Program. And uh, she really did her homework, uh, did all of her backdoor deals. And uh, that bill went through the health committee, the House, the Senate committee, the Senate. <laughs> and was finished and done with before the marijuana activists in Texas even knew what the heck was happening. Little <laughs> did we know uh, what had just happened. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the session, uh, Governor Abbott uh, let it become law, signed it, and, uh, and uh, there, we, there was Texas medical marijuana program. <laughs> We're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> and, uh, that, that that was my my uh, my point of view. How teacup came into being. Yeah, they got they got it in there though, didn't they? Uh, yes, they they, they did. got a medical program, so now we don't want to hear about it anymore. Uh, yeah, I think that's what they were hoping for. Kind of. Well, that's what Senator Campbell told us. Uh, the uh, uh, the next year, Senator Campbell was having a meeting of the uh, Veterans Committee, and uh, we had four veterans. And they went and testified to Senator Campbell's uh, committee, Veterans Committee. And uh, our four veterans, uh, Romana, Arthur, Kate, and Jeremiah, um, they testified uh, to the Veterans Committee. And uh, it said that they want to testify about medical cannabis. And uh, when, when Senator Campbell uh, saw that there were four veterans sitting in front of her getting ready to uh, talk about medical cannabis. You could see that she got really angry and she started pounding her pen on the table like this and said, we already did that last session. And Arthur and Kate and Romana and Jeremiah looked at her and said, did what? And she said, we passed a medical marijuana program last session. And and they couldn't believe she was saying that. But uh, uh, Arthur said, "Well, it doesn't help me." And so that you know that was the bottom line. Is is uh, each of the four veterans insisted on explaining to Senator Campbell and the Veterans Committee that that bill that passed in 2015 didn't help any of them because none of them have epilepsy, but they have issues that cannabis can help. And that was 2016 when this yeah. happened. Yes. Okay. The interim period between yes, yeah, between uh, fifteen and seventeen. Yes. Yeah, 
but we didn't get anything done in 2017, did we? There was no change made. Uh, I do not recall uh, what, uh, if any changes uh, happened in 2017. You know, the next big change was mothers advocating medical marijuana for autism, mm -hmm. getting autism tests. Yeah, and that was that in was, 2019, wasn't it? Yes, and they yeah. did a fantastic job uh, with their lobbying. And they got autism advocates. So that yeah. was a big step uh, because that made uh, the legislature and Governor Abbott admit that cannabis uh, can be good for more than one condition. Well, they even they even uh, they expanded it to all forms of epilepsy and uh, terminal cancer that year as well in 2019. Right. Yeah. So there was a couple of things they added there that made it kind of backdoored that that admission that hey there's more than just seizures here folks yeah and they and can't hide from that fact anymore yeah right. so um, what was the most recent expansions that we had let's talk about those for a minute here in the, the most the most recent session 2021 that went into effect because they directly impacted you uh, yes um, you know it was um, I, I've um, had three cancer surgeries, uh, so I was not happy uh, that uh, the state of Texas was telling me uh, that I could only use cannabis if I was literally about to die. So uh, we, we were able to uh, uh, expand TCAP for all cancer patients and then achieve the goal that we had been working on uh, since we established Texas Veterans for Medical Marijuana in 2015, uh, which was to add uh, post-traumatic stress disorder uh, as a qualifying condition. Mm -hmm. So that was that's huge uh, for the veteran community. Uh, that was our whole goal, our whole purpose, something I thought about every single day uh, since 2012 was how can we get medical cannabis for veterans in Texas uh, who are diagnosed with PTSD? And we finally achieved it uh, in uh, last session and we're able to uh, win the fight so that it wasn't just for veterans with PTSD, it's for all patients with PTSD. Yeah, yeah. We, we told the legislators, we don't want it just for veterans. That's how you're gonna do it, don't do it. It yeah. has to be for all patients with PTSD. And, uh, and to her credit, uh, Stephanie Click heard uh, from victims of sexual assault, uh, and, uh, and, and she, she realized that PTSD is not just something for veterans. Law enforcement officers, personnel that fight fires, mm -hmm. um, EMT personnel, many people other than veterans deal with PTSD. Yeah, I actually had a conversation last session with Stephanie Click on that very subject uh, as a, a former first responder myself. Good. Uh, Great. We, we had that conversation and she said, she told me before it was pretty much public that uh, they were going to make that change to, to from veterans to all PTSD. And I said, thank you. I'm done bothering you now. <laughs> yeah, we, we, um, we, we were so happy about that because we would have felt terrible if it would have only been for veterans. That, that thank you for lobbying on behalf of all PTSD patients. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I lobby for all patients because one simple fact. And, and I think 
at some point in every episode of this podcast, I'm probably going to make this statement. But my goal is so no other person has to wake up each and every day and realize what I feel when he's the first thought that enters my mind. Yes. Uh, and that's that's my sole goal. I don't care about me. I care about nobody else having to feel what I feel every day for the last five and a half years. Yes. So uh, it's my pleasure, but uh, it's it's there's a goal behind it that motivates me, and he's sitting right here behind me. In case you haven't yeah, noticed. Yeah, I love that pick, man. That's a fantastic pick. Uh, so you are now enrolled in the teacup program for PTSD and chronic pain, are you not? Yes, on September 1st, uh, I became a uh, Texas Compassionate Youth Program patient uh, for PTSD and um, also qualified for cancer. My doctor is Dr. Brimberry. Uh, he's a Navy veteran. Uh, and so I uh, decided that what I would do uh, is I would use uh, TCAP medications and only TCAP medications uh, for 90 days, September, October, November. And I would document uh, my use in a, uh, in a little notebook every day. Uh, and I would also uh, document uh, my experience on social media. And so what I'm using currently is uh, Texas Original Compassionate Cultivation Gummies. And uh, I use one-to-one in the daytime which is five milligrams of CBD and five milligrams of THC. Okay. And so I, I use those gummies in the daytime. And uh, at, in the evening, I use zero to one, uh, which is uh, 10 milligrams of THC. Uh, and um, I uh, use them for pain uh, and for PTSD, even though pain is not a qualifying condition, uh, these gummies work really well for pain. Uh, and uh, today is uh, 28 October. So from September 1st to 28 October, I have only used these gummies. I stopped using flour uh, and uh, they work perfect for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then so... what I'm going to do, and these, these are TOCC medications. And so um, when my 90 days are up, I'm going to switch over to good blend medications and use good blend medications for another 90 days mm -hmm. uh, and do the same thing. Document my use, document the effect and share that uh, my experience on social media. Sure. Um. Pardon this short break for a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Gramps Place. The podcast where Gramps and his guests talk about all things of public interest. So the the meds you're taking, would you say, in comparison, it's basically ten milligrams each each dose. Just one is five and five in the morning, and then just ten of THC in the in the evening. Would you say that? compares relatively to the amount maybe of flour you were using or yes you, you would uh, say so when the when the doctor did my when dr Brimberry did my diagnosis he asked me how much flour do i use every day 
Okay. And then he made a calculation how many milligrams that was. Uh, okay. And then he based my prescription, my daily use of flour from 2012 to September 1st this year. And so my prescription is based on my use of flour. And the milligrams, uh, it, it, they correlate. And so uh, what I was very interested to know is the big question is, uh, did uh, Texas original compassionate cultivation solve the riddle of, uh, of, of making edibles uh, that are just as good as the flour uh, yeah. I was using daily since 2012? Because uh, they, they grow beautiful, fantastic plants at their facility. Mm -hmm. And that uh, there's no THC limit on these plants. Mm -hmm. And so what I found out is, yes, POCC has solved the riddle, you know, the, figured out the process to formulate uh, these gummies that were just as good as the flour that I used previously. Okay. The exact same effect. Um, you know, uh, the, the high, uh, a lot of the new patients have been asking me, am I going to be high? And uh, <laughs> I tell them, uh, you, you will have the experience, uh, the effect of THC, which, which medically uh, is, is euphoria, a feeling of mm -hmm. euphoria. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and, and uh, so the effect of these gummies on me are exactly like the flower. I get the, it stimulates my appetite. It um, stimulates uh, uh, me to be creative, uh, to be focused, uh, to sleep well. Uh, and so all of the effects of these uh, POCC gummies are the exact same effect of me smoking my flower. Okay. Uh, I know they've done a lot of things with uh, nano emulsion and whatnot as far as for getting rapid delivery and, and, and stuff like that. I've been reading up on some of the things they've done with that. Uh, of course, I'm curious because I, I have a condition that's, that's basically a blood disorder. Uh, it's called multiple gammopathy of undetermined significance. Basically, the portion of my bone marrow that's making, that makes your white blood cells, you know, part of your bone marrow makes white blood cells, part of it makes red blood cells, part of it makes platelets, blah, 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 right? Well, the part that makes white blood cells, which are protein cells, starts to make these rogue cells or what they call monoclonal proteins, or for short, they call them M proteins. So they call this disorder that I have M Gus for short, but uh, basically these proteins cause, cause nerve damage over time. So I have, uh, much like a diabetic, I have severe neuropathy in my lower legs and feet. Uh, and it's, it's getting to the point where it's starting in my hands and stuff. I've read amazing studies about cannabis for neuropathic pain, which actually neuropathic pain is a condition here in Texas. But uh, I've seen all kinds of studies about the, the number one way to treat that is through smoking or inhalation, not necessarily smoking, but smoking or vaporizing. Uh, so we got to be honest, just from my, my personal standpoint, uh, as well as I'm sure several others, there's still a lot of improvements we've got to do here in Texas, isn't there? Yes. Um, I wrote a letter to um, Governor Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, um, Senator Campbell, Senator Birdwell, Senator Hughes, uh, Representative Click, uh, several others, uh, and I uh, thank them for passing the latest update to the Texas Compassionate Use Program. I told sure. them I'm a I'm a patient now, 
I'm legally using medical cannabis in Texas. Uh, and um, and uh, I told them uh, it's working for me. And uh, the five improvements uh, that I suggested to all of them. Uh, and number one, which we're all concerned about, is uh, lifting the uh, THC level. Yes. Uh, it's uh, The current level is 1% by weight. And so that means that the licensees, uh, 1% by weight, they can uh, produce, uh, formulate medications up to 25 milligram doses. And that's a, that's a strong dose for most people. Uh, but there are people with, uh, with very serious uh, conditions uh, that uh, even a 25 milligram dose uh, might not be enough. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Stephanie Click last session uh, proposed in her bill to raise the THC limit to 5% by weight. Yeah. 5% THC, it's 5% by weight. Yeah. Now that would allow the, the uh, licensees to formulate really strong doses and have much less filler material. But of course, uh, what we want is uh, there to be no THC limit and allow the doctors to decide. Absolutely. So absolutely crucial uh, that we continue to lobby for that. Uh, I told uh, Governor Abbott and the others, uh, we need to uh, add chronic pain and Stephanie Click had chronic pain in uh, her bill mm -hmm. and Lieutenant Governor Patrick uh, made her take it out in the Senate. Uh, so we think we know Lieutenant Governor Patrick personally uh, removed chronic pain. Uh, we'll continue to fight for that. I personally, uh, want uh, traumatic brain injury uh, yes. as, as a qualifying condition. I uh, actually, many veterans suffer from TBI, from uh, improvised explosive devices. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, the fourth is the uh, licensees need to be allowed to open dispensaries. Uh, I want a dispensary around the corner from my house. Uh, yeah. you know, a good blend dispensary and a Texas Original Compassionate Cultivation Dispensary. Um, Right now, the uh, DPS rules uh, force them, they can only store the medication in their one facility. There, there can be no overnight storage, which means no dispensaries. That's so that means crazy. they have to deliver the medicine in one day, wherever it is, it has to be delivered there, the patient has to pick it up, whatever's left has to come back to Austin. And that's mm -hmm. crazy. I mean, you gotta bring the medicine all the way back from El Paso yeah. Austin, that's the same. Mm -hmm. So uh, we want, uh, I told Governor Abbott and the others, uh, we need dispensaries. Uh, the licensees need to be able to open brick and mortar dispensaries. Yeah. And then uh, I told Governor Abbott uh, that I want him uh, to appoint a board, uh, a medical board, and uh, empower that board to be the people that decides other conditions uh, to add to uh, the te Texas Compassionate Use Program, rather than us coming to the legislators every two years, yeah. uh, lobbying them to add this condition and this other condition. It'd be better if we could meet with a, a board of medical professionals for that. Yeah. You know, with that, that whole board idea, you know, we've presented that before. We've actually had it in bills before. They had, you know, I think we had it in one of the bills in 2019. We had something similar to that. Yep. And I, I think uh, maybe a new approach. I was thinking about this the other day. 
maybe a new approach to sell that idea is from the aspect of, you know, this board's responsibility will be not just to evaluate new conditions that are not already currently on the list, but current conditions that are on the list that we've since found out it's not helping and we need to remove. That'll also be their duty, you know. Sure. Uh, maybe that's an avenue to get in the back door to some lawmaker's brain and say, hmm, maybe this is a good idea, you know. Well, and of course, the other thing we all want is flour to be added. Uh, Absolutely. It's, uh, it's ridiculous that the uh, legislators uh, decided that uh, we can use this cannabis as medicine, but you can't smoke it. Uh, that That's just politics. That That's not rooted yeah. in science or reality or anything else. And so uh, we really uh, need flour added, but as long as um, Lieutenant Governor Patrick is, is sitting there in the Senate ruling with his iron fist, yeah, um, it's not achievable for us to get flour added. Uh, we're gonna have to have Lieutenant Governor Patrick not be in charge of the Senate anymore uh, before we can get flour. We can get flour in the House. The House has no problem. We have enough votes in the House uh, to get flour added. The sure. problem is over in the Senate. Yeah. And so as long as uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick controls that Senate, I don't see flour being added. Well, he was he was the, the reason why we had to drop it from 5% to 1% to yes. the increase, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, we believe, uh, you know, he had a hand in that too because Representative Flick, uh, she told me, I, you know, this 5% is going to be a, a, a hard fight. And so she knew going in uh, that she might not be able to achieve that. And sure enough, the compromise was uh, from Lieutenant Governor Patrick, okay, you can double it from 0.5 to 1. So we're not going to 5. Which is, it's, it's ludicrous to me that, uh, you know, if he had a medical background prior to becoming a politician, I might say, okay, I got to respect the man a little more than what I do, you know, but knowing his background leading up to becoming a politician, number one, and, and then what his history as a politician, number two, uh, why, why are you get out of the way? You know, the, get out of the way. You're, I just, I, I, I don't even really need to talk about Dan Patrick, probably. <laughs> we're, all, we're all exactly the same way. <laughs> Dan Patrick's I, name, and it, we, we, uh, that, that's, uh, because he's the last obstacle. He truly is yeah. the last obstacle uh, to significant cannabis reform in Texas. We could have passed decrim laws through the Senate if mm -hmm. he would have stood out of the way. If he would I let him go to enough, committee. Yes, I yeah. believe that we have enough votes in the Senate uh, to pass a pretty significant uh, decriminalization bill authored by a House Republican. If if uh, you can get it to the floor, but you got to get it through Dan Patrick first. That's the and, roadblock. And Dan Patrick has no intention of decriminalizing cannabis in Texas because he considers that to be a step toward legalization, which, Dan, it is. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is. Our and objective is to legalize cannabis in Texas. We don't believe anyone should be arrested for using cannabis ever. I believe my ultimate goal is is where you ought to be able to grow it in your backyard freely, like you can beans, tomatoes, potatoes, corn, whatever you want to plant. 
you know, if you want to plant a garden, you ought to be able to throw a couple of pot plants out there and nobody have anything to say about it. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. <clears throat> you know, it's ironic we're talking about uh, Mr. Patrick. Let's see, I've had two Democrat, two Democratic candidates on already. I'm fixing to have a third. I've reached out to countless Republicans and I get no response. Well, um, there are some Republicans uh, who will talk about it, um, but uh, most of the Republicans uh, prefer to avoid the subject. Yeah. And um, when I discuss a Democratic candidate uh, who supports legalizing cannabis, uh, they are not shy. And yeah. as far as I'm concerned, uh, marijuana can be legal, can be illegal in Texas forever before you'll ever convince me to vote for a Democrat. Yeah. Uh, so there's a pretty substantial number of people that it's for not... ideological political reasons, yeah. uh, that they vote for the very people uh, that continue prohibition in Texas. Absolutely. It, 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 it's not just people in the activist movement who do that. I had a conversation prior to the last presidential election with my father. And I personally, I don't claim any party. And I've been that way my entire voting life. Because at the age of 10, he and I had a conversation. Actually, he and my mother were having a political discussion. And I was a smart mouth little 10 year old who thought he knew everything. And uh, I thought I'd stick my nose into that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as a result, I basically, basically the conversation was about, you know, who controls this, who does that, who's pushing these buttons, who's pushing those buttons, basically kind of thing. And uh, I piped in and said, well, I don't know what you're talking about. United States government hasn't been we the people, of the people, for the people, by the people for how many years now? And my dad looked at me and said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, it's a known fact. The United States government is run by big business, not the people. And he looked at me, told me to shut up. I was a stupid little kid, didn't know what I was talking about. Of course, that intrigued me at that point. So from the age of 10 until the year of 2016, when my son passed away, what my hobby was, my, my pastime and free time was study in government, economics, politics, political parties for 40 plus years. That's all I researched in my spare time. In school, I was always in the library pulling out the encyclopedias and, and the newspapers and the, the history books and everything, you know. And of course, history teachers loved me in school. But, yes, uh, I'm sure they did. <laughs> because of what I learned through all of that, I learned that, you know, we, we don't need to elect parties. We shouldn't be voting for parties. We should be electing people based on the ideas that they have and, and the changes that they talk about they want to make not what this group of people talk about they want to do, right? And so I stay away from the whole political thing. I've never voted a straight ticket. I've voted for many a Democrat. I voted for many Republican, and I voted for a few independents, you know, even a few libertarians. Me too, Chris. I, I'm an independent voter like you. I try to choose the most rational candidate with the best experience that I think will do the best job. Sure. So I vote for Democrats, I vote for Republicans, and I've been voting for some Libertarians. I voted for the Libertarian mm -hmm. candidate for the governor of Texas last election, mm -hmm. uh, and I voted for the Libertarian candidate 
uh, for president last election. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I, like you, uh, am an independent voter. And, yeah. uh, and I wish there were more of us. But uh, mm -hmm. knowing, in, in my mind, in my, my belief, uh, that the Democrats are not going to gain control of Texas anytime soon. So yeah. I'm happy to work with Senator Birdwell, Senator Campbell, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Governor Abbott, uh, Representative Click, uh, because I appreciate being a medical cannabis patient, uh, and I will work with them as hard as I can uh, to continue to improve this program. Yeah, that's kind of where I was going with that. Uh, you know, the whole political stunt there was is my dad and I, before the last election, uh, we're talking, and and I don't even know what brought it up, but he just he just started on a rant. You know, of course, you got to know my dad. He's he's eighty five now. He was eighty four then, but uh, you know, I let him go when he goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> but he was. I tell you like this. I don't give a damn if I disagree with every blankety blankety thing they say. If there's an R by their name, I'm voting for them. Yeah, exactly. And I said, <laughs> that makes absolutely no sense, Dad. Yeah. And there's plenty of Democrats that do the same thing. And absolutely. They vote that, for the R, the D, or the L. That's that's why we're where we are, in my opinion, today, politically, in this deadlock at the federal level, because that they're too busy worrying about the R and the D and not sitting there hashing out their ideas and saying, okay, you want this. Well, I want this. Let's talk about it. They don't do that anymore. Not at, not at the federal level. They still do it here in Texas and other States, but the federal level has been a deadlock for the last 20 years. Yeah. And I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Uh, it seems to be getting worse, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you for coming on, Dave, and telling your story and uh, telling us, you know, uh, about the, the different levels of compassionate use as we've gone from 2015 to current. Uh, what can what what else can activists do here in Texas, that, in your opinion, to maybe move the needle further in the next session? Well, Chris, as you as you well know, uh, we're in the interim period between two legislative sessions. And not only in, are we in an interim period, uh, we're in the midst of redistricting. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the legislature in 2023 is going to look a whole lot different uh, than it did in uh, 2021 uh, because uh, there's going to be a whole lot of new faces. Uh, and so um, during this interim period is, is when we activists in Texas um, uh, kind of are in a waiting mode. Uh, to see who the candidates are, uh, what their positions are on cannabis, uh, and then we focus on the elections uh, and educating people about the candidates who uh, are in favor of cannabis reform and the candidates who are hardcore prohibitionists. And so we, we focus on the election and uh, see who the legislators are that we're going to be dealing with uh, next session. Uh, and then once that clarifies, uh, then we'll know who to, who to start talking to uh, about uh, various uh, marijuana reform bills. Yeah. One thing I keep telling everybody, you were talking about the, the R and the D issue, and, and you're absolutely right in your point that, that people need to understand. If there's somebody that 
been given us a roadblock or given us no votes, like Dan Patrick, for instance, uh, then at, at this point, what you don't understand or what most people don't understand, they say, oh, no way in hell I'll vote for a Democrat or no way in hell I'll vote for a Republican. But but the point is, nobody is a permanent placement when they get elected. Right. We, we have the ability to serve term limits up on every single elected official in every single election. We don't have to go with somebody. We don't have to settle. We can vote for somebody else to get them out and then vote for somebody on the other side again to, to get the other guy out next time. Sometimes that's what it takes to make right. a move. And and we we've, we've lost that perspective as a voting body, I think. Yes, it's uh, it, it's uh, you know, Texas doesn't allow us to have ballot initiative. That's no. the first gigantic stumbling block. So we have no choice except to lobby the legislature. And we all know that's a hard, difficult, arduous process. Uh, and, and activists come and go. I know a whole lot of people who became cannabis activists, and uh, Texas just crushed them. <laughs> they they like, oh, to hell with this. And I know some it didn't take. Other states or, or they just stopped doing it because it's too painful. So yeah. uh, God bless the activists in Texas uh, like you uh, that stick with it uh, through all these sessions and these many, many, many disappointments. Uh, but we know we're going to win eventually. Eventually, yeah. cannabis is going to be legal at the federal level. Cannabis is going to be legal in Texas. The people are on our side. The media is on our side. History's on our side. Uh, so what keeps me going is I know we're going to win. Uh, it's just a matter of, of when. Yeah, well, that's, you know, somebody asked me the other day, well, your son would qualify for the program since 20, 2019. I said, well, yeah, but the, the program where it was at 2019 still wouldn't 100% have helped him because for for rescue from a, a grand mal seizure takes an extremely high dose of THC, right. not available still here in Texas. So that's one reason I still fight. But I, even if we had all that, everything that would have been needed for him, I would still fight simply because it, it, it's a principal thing to me now. Yeah. This is something that never should have been an issue. Right. You know, um, and that's the thing that just irks me the most is how it, it became an issue to begin with, how it escalated from that point into a national issue, and and how, how we're still... You know, you look back at when California, the first state to, to pass any kind of medical program, how many years ago that was, and you look at where we're at still here in Texas, and it's like, uh, why? Why? Well, the good news is we're winning at the local level. <laughs> yes, so we are. We're being very effective at the local level to convince uh, district attorneys and police chiefs and city councils uh, mm -hmm. that they're wasting their precious law enforcement resources. Uh, to arrest harmless uh, users of cannabis, and that's working. Uh, we, yes. We've uh, dropped arrests in Texas all the way from 95,000 down to around 35,000 uh, in 2020. I don't mm -hmm. think we know the numbers yet for 2021. Uh, and so um, 
uh, we've really uh, cut down on the number of arrests, especially in the big urban areas like Dallas and, and Austin and Houston. Uh, but the problem is way out there in the hinterland, uh, mm-hmm. West Texas, East Texas, Northeast Texas, uh, we, we still have a lot of work to do, but we're winning at the local level. And that's a fantastic success story uh, that we all need should be encouraged by. Yeah, well, that's that's something that um, a lot of us are, are, are pushing and is the local level efforts. You know, every time I see anything about any of it, that's it's going on my page, you know, yes. try to get more people involved with, uh, you know, I don't think we can do enough. I mean, the number one thing that uh, I keep saying, I've said since the beginning to everybody and especially now, I mean, because we're ha- we're winning these local level battles is if you have any say, whether you use cannabis or not, come out of the closet, be vocal about it, let it be known, talk to your neighbors, talk to your family members. Let's get the conversation going further and further. The more we talk about it and put it in their faces, the more they got to do something. Yes. It's as simple as that. Yes. Well, we're about to run out of time, so uh, I want to thank you again for joining me, David, and uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us here and listening tonight. Well, I'm loving your podcast. Uh, you're having amazing people uh, on your podcast. And so I've really been looking forward uh, to listening to the different episodes. So thank you for this podcast. I think it's a huge contribution uh, to the cannabis movement in Texas. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, that's my goal is to, to, to just further the conversation. You know, uh, like you said earlier, it's the it, it's the activists that get the conversation going, and and what better way to do it is put it out there where everybody can hear. Gramps plays, where Gramps and his guests discuss all things of public interest and anything else that might need a little changing here in the good old USA, from ending the drug war and freeing those wrongfully imprisoned for crimes that have no victim, to making government more like what our forefathers intended of we the people again. Gramps talks with doctors, scientists, politicians, and more, so you can make your own decisions on important issues in the USA. Be sure to subscribe where you get your podcasts or visit GrampsPlace.net today. And as always, thank you for listening to Gramps Place. Gramps Place.